0: Tonight is the Uposa today, the what we term the Wan Pra, or the Buddhist observance day, and it's the one preceding the the large Uposa Day preceding the Uposa today on which we will enter the three-month rains retreat or the Vasa. So in these 15 days, we will prepare to enter this traditional annual retreat by cleaning and preparing the various kutis and huts around the monastery by doing chores and cleaning up all the area which we use and generally taking care of the uh, monastery so that we don't have to worry or concern ourselves with it too much during the three-month rains retreat itself and are free to focus as continuously and sincerely on our practice as we're able. This is useful because this rains retreat is an opportunity to cut off all of our external worries and thoughts and to remain simply with the four satipatthana, namely that of the body, that of feelings, that of the mind, and that of dhammas or mental objects, the four foundations of mindfulness. At the time of the Buddha, there were Teras, senior monastics, who during the Vasa worked to restrain their minds and keep them within as small an area as possible to keep them from going out and therefore dedicate themselves to intensive practice. One of these monastics managed to keep their mindfulness within the monastery's boundaries, not thinking of anything outside of the monastery during the whole three month rains retreat. Another Tara managed to keep his mindfulness just within his small monastic hut, and yet another managed to restrain it within just the confines of his body itself and the various abilities of these different monks to keep their mindfulness within increasingly or uh, increasingly small areas was due to their various abilities within the practice and to restrain and concentrate their minds The practice has a chance to intensify during the three-month rains retreat. And those new monks who have just ordained should take the opportunity to make use of these three months in two ways. They should study the Various externals associated with this life, such as the suttas or the different rules of the vinaya, And yet they should also at the same time work to practice and give themselves to the study of the heart. All the monks of the monastery should work to uphold the basics of this life, what we call the korwata. That is morning chanting, evening chanting, and alms round. And this alms round, or bindabat, is the basis of our life. It's our profession. It's what constitutes for monks, sama-ajiwo, or the factor of the Eightfold Path of Right Livelihood. When I was a young monastic, I would travel at times, or had to travel, on a train uh, throughout Thailand, sometimes from Bangkok through Ayutthaya to Salaburi, and at times on this train, there was no place to sit. We had to stand the whole way. Sometimes during these long travels, one had to simply put up with the difficulty and endure, And this is many years ago, but this idea of endurance, of being monks who can put forth effort and put up with difficulties is essential to keep in mind even now, whether we are feeling lazy or diligent, whether it's raining hard or sunny, we should endure and continuously every day, go on alms round. In Isan, northeastern Thailand, at times during the three-month rains retreat, the rain would fall extremely heavily and the rice fields would flood. And yet, even during these storms, the monks would still go on alms round. It was our korwat, our way of practice and it was the foundation of our monastic lives. This is the way of practice we inherited as forest monks from Ajahn Cha. And we can recollect that even on large festival days at the monastery or days of large ceremony, when the monastics were preparing the grounds for a large gathering of lay people, who would offer a forest cloth and accompanying requisites. Even on these days, Ajahn Shah would still exhort the monks to go on bindabot, on alms round. If we live a monastic life like this and uphold this basis of it, of bindabot, then our minds and hearts are cool and happy at ease, and when we sit and walk and put forth effort in the formal practice, our heart is cool and happy because we know that we've maintained right livelihood for ourselves. We've maintained the factor of sama-ajiwo. Similarly, as monks, we should work to be restrained within the Patimoka, the monastic rule. And the Buddha taught that upholding such ethics well and strictly and carefully was the direct and only path to expel suffering from the heart. In the world, people are constantly searching restlessly for happiness Externally, but many or most of them never find a lasting happiness. The Buddha, however, taught us the route to find a lasting and real sense of well being, the ultimate or sublime sense of well being, a great happiness. This happiness comes from cultivating refinement in our bodily actions and our speech. This is the element of sila, or ethical action. And also in cultivating such refinement in the mind, which is the element of bhavana, or mental cultivation. In this realm of mental cultivation, we must work to abandon the five nivarna or hindrances. These five hindrances have been the friends and companions of the mind for an inestimable amount of time. There's the first of kamachanda or sensual desire of becoming lost and falling for the various sense impressions which impact us, uh, whether forms to the eye, sounds to the ear, and so on. Or the second hindrance of viyapada, or dislike, aversion, namely disliking or pushing away from the various sense impressions that come in from the six sense bases. The third hindrance, mita, or sloth and torpor, is the drowsiness which we can experience in meditation. The fourth of utacha kukucha is restlessness and remorse, the mind that just won't become still. And the fifth of vichagiccha is the aspect or hindrance of skeptical doubt which will not let us have faith or come to rest in any sense of confidence in the teaching or practice. So the practice is not an easy thing. And Ajahn Chah, realizing this, gave us the weapon of the... Kamatana, the five Kamatana, in order to engage in this battle with the hindrances and with our own defilements, namely hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin, the five meditation objects associated with the body, which every new monk is given by their Upajaya upon ordaining, or Long Por would advise us to take the meditation word Budo as our meditation object and quiet the mind through this, afterwards contemplating the five body parts in order to see through them clearly. These five kamatana, or meditation objects of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin, are powerful in that they compose the external wrapping or trappings of this form, which cause us to become deluded in it and think it beautiful and take it as a self. However, in our normal state of mind, we cannot see this clearly. And so before contemplating these five kamatana, in a way that allows us to see their true nature, we must make the mind quiet and bring it to a sense of lucid calm. We must make the heart cool and place it far away from the nivarana, or the hindrances, where it will be full and calm. In the vasa, or the rains retreat, we have a chance to do this, and put forth effort in the practice, meditating long sessions, even up to four hours. We have the chance to sit and walk every day in the formal practice to make our effort regular and continuous until the chitta gradually grows calm and enters into a lucid sense of samadhi then wisdom can come. There are many sorts of wisdom. There's that which originates from thinking, memorizing, and studying. We might look into and learn the Abhidhamma, the Vinaya, and the Suttas, and this is good. However, to see and study the heart and to realize its nature is a different sort of study and is one that is far more powerful and penetrating. We can study the defilements in name all we'd like, and yet without practice, we are unable to conquer them. Long Cha would compare this to a ladle in a pot of curry. The ladle, although it's immersed in the curry, has no ability to taste it we have to raise that ladle to our lips and allow it to touch the tongue before we can have any sense of what the curry actually tastes like. Similarly, we can think or reason or read about the defilements, about sense impressions, about the nature of the mind and yet be unable to let go. First, we have to make the mind calm. If we want to truly taste this practice, we must look at the body. In doing this, we can approach it through one avenue if we'd like, simply taking one of the five bodily meditation objects I've spoken of. For example, the hair. Hair is an aspect of this form that we take as beautiful, whether on our own head or the heads of others. Yet something in the mind knows it as otherwise in its clearer moments. For example, if we're eating a bowl of soup and one strand of our hair or another's hair falls into it, the meal immediately becomes perceived as dirty, and the soup becomes worthless. Hair is constantly becoming oily. It requires regular washing if it is to keep from smelling. It is a dirty thing, though we don't see it as such. And this practice of contemplation is what will expel delight and lust from the heart. Similarly, we can look at simply the aspect of the skin. We can imagine taking the skin off the body and how this form will be simply red throughout if we remove the skin and that small, thin covering. How it will just be blood And if we remove even another layer, we will see that the body is composed just of organs, of the lungs, the heart, the stomach, intestines, the gallbladder, undigested food, excrement, and various other unattractive components. Such a vision is unendurable and can help dispel if we contemplate in this way, our attachment to this form. Contemplating deeper and deeper into the body like this, we begin to perceive it as a bag of disgusting things, as a bag of blood, of pus, of decay, of bones. If it passes away then it becomes a bag of maggots feeding on it. And slowly through such perceptions, we begin to see how the body is dirty at its heart. This is clear knowing. When it's still alive and wrapped in skin, then it fools us. But as we look deeper into it, we see it as it really exists. And this is our work as monks. This is our profession and what we are bound to do if we are to see clearly. We look at the body. We see it as the four elements of earth, water, fire, and air. And perceiving It has the four elements, dividing it in this way. The mind enters into emptiness. This approach to the bodily contemplation is a samatha practice, for it makes the mind calm. Similar samatha practices might be the contemplation of death, thinking of how unsure our lives are and how they could end at any moment. And this will also make the mind quiet. After which, when the mind is calm through either of these techniques, we again look at the body, but this time in terms of its qualities of anicca, anatta, and dukkha, inconstancy, not-self, and suffering. Penetrating these qualities or these aspects of the body, we see the dhamma. So, these 15 next days, we should work to prepare the monastery so that we can dedicate ourselves completely to the practice. We should clean up and work to accustom ourselves to the community's ways of interacting. We should be ones who don't take on unnecessary duties, although, what duties we do. Take on, we should work to do well, and we should honor those who sacrifice and be willing to make sacrifices ourselves. Many at the monastery have various duties and make sacrifices. Ajandui looks after the chedi and various things, Kruabat and others look after water and different aspects of the monastery that keep it running. They have many things to do. We have monks who work to design the Chedi, for example, Krubatet, who works tirelessly to do this. And other monks have come to help him, for example, Krubavit. We're a community here, and we're all bound together by working in common cause. This is a beautiful thing. There are many different departments in the Sangha, even. The Western monks, for example, have those who dedicate themselves to looking after the visas, to translations. Kuba Frank works to look after our technology and spread the Dhamma. And we have those dedicated to teaching. For example, Ajahn Mahanu and Ajahn Anusit all do their duties as much as they can. And yet this doing of our external duties is also part of the practice. Formal meditation is one kind of practice, but these other duties are another. And after we have made the mind bright and calm through such duties, then when we practice and sit to meditate, we find our minds calm down easily. We find that when we listen to the Dhamma talk of a good teacher, that the mind is bright and the heart calm and we can see the Dhamma. Many lay people come and complain that they have not yet experienced the calm spoken of by the great teachers. And it's important to reflect in some such cases of impatience that this takes time to keep one's mindfulness in the present rather than thinking about results in the future. And just do the practice. Restrain the sense base as well. And if one continues to walk the path in this way, then the practice will proceed automatically, continuously, whether we are lay people or monastics. So I hope that all of you put forth effort and work to practice as sincerely as possible during this period, and now we'll have a brief translation of this talk. the <laughs> So now all the lay people are invited to meditate. The monks will now prepare for their Patimoka recitation, their recitation of the monastic rule which occurs every two weeks. So uh, now all the monks are invited to confess with each other, prepare the area, and at 9 p.m. we'll gather again and recite the abbreviated version of the monastic rule.